I had a great visit this week with a listener named Chauncey, and so he reached out to me, and, and we got connected over the phone, and uh, he is a new hospice salesperson. Isn't that weird to think that in hospice we have salespeople? We do, and they're necessary, and they're important. That's the environment we're in right now, and so he and I had a really great conversation, and he just wanted to pick my brain a little bit on some ideas on how to be successful in hospice sales. And I can't sit here and tell you that, uh, that I've been a hospice salesperson. I have not, but I have interacted with them extensively, uh, not just in the field, but as a, uh, in administration. And especially here over the last five or six months, I've taken even a deeper dive into what it is they do. And I've watched to see how the successful ones behave and, uh, and so I just want to share some of those highlights with you. I even reached out to one of my coworkers who I respect greatly to uh, verify a couple of things and make sure that what I was going to share would be accurate. So I hope that this turns out to be a useful episode for you sales folks out there, whether you are a clinical salesperson or a non-clinical lay salesperson. I hope that today's episode will help you out. Live from downtown Kansas City, this is James Dibbon, and welcome to the Hospice Nursing Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to your show. Welcome nurses and apparently other hospice professionals all over America. And hey, welcome to your show. This is the only show that provides practical help for hospice nursing success. I am your host, James Dibbon with Confessions of a Hospice Nurse.net. And thank you so much for checking out the show. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. I appreciate everybody who is joining the community at the hospicenursingcommunity.com. It has gotten busier and busier, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but just I just appreciate all of the support and encouragement I get from this community. And, um, and it's just been a fantastic experience. We have almost hit our two-year mark for the show. Um, so as I get into today's content... First, I want to have a disclaimer. I reserve the right to change my opinion based on new information. So uh, this is this is going to be a little bit different of a show because I'm going to talk about some sales ideas and tips and tricks. But I really think if you are a hospice nurse, this is some of the I'm going to really highlight some of the challenges your sales team faces. And you will definitely learn in this episode some things that you can do to help your sales team be more successful. And I'll touch on those as I go throughout today's show and kind of highlight some things and some discuss some things here. And because 
because they're, you know, what I am used to doing here in Kansas City, Kansas City can be somewhat of a compact city with 1.2 million or 1.5 or whatever it is population in the metropolitan area, but it's not a lot of square mileage from what I understand from a lot of other larger cities or maybe cities our size. Um, And so some of the ideas that I have might be more specific to this area, but I think some of the overall concepts that I want to share with you today are quite appropriate. Um, And so the first one that I feel like could definitely change based on the demographics, what part of the country you are in, how rural your area is. But something that I, I've just observed and something that Chauncey and I actually talked about was how many accounts a salesperson should be able to call on by themselves. What, what do those numbers look like? And just from my observation, it's I, I feel like 20 accounts might be a lot, and 40 accounts is just too many. As I've, as I've seen the ebb and flow of sales teams where I have, in my different organizations I've been at, I've been able to tell, tell that as if, if we lose a salesperson, they decide to leave or what have you, um, and another salesperson tries to service that area while, before they can get somebody else in and they find themselves trying to manage 30 or 40 accounts, that just really cannot be done. And, and I reached out to my friend Michael here in Kansas City, who is one of our sales representatives, who I feel like has a lot of knowledge and wisdom that he can share, and touched base with him before I hit the record button today. And talked to him and, and some conversations he and I have had before and have talked about the sales in hospice. And so a lot of what I'm going to share with you today comes also out of conversations I have had with him. Um, and what I'm discovering and, and through my conversations with him is that This position is not something you you don't try to call on every account, obviously, every day or if you're trying to really work an account because we don't have you don't have anything in there. The solution isn't showing up there every single day. And and we're going to talk about that a little bit here and some other ideas and some things that I've run into. But through my conversation with Michael, you should be able to hit all of your accounts weekly that you. And and I, and I think there's some parallels there with nursing because at a minimum we should be seeing our patients at least once a week. And of course, you know me, I think we should see everybody twice a week, but that's a whole other conversation that I've had before and I'm still working on a show with some other nurses who have some other thoughts with that. But my point being is that there needs to be a weekly touch between you and your your accounts as you try to build that relationship. And one thing I want to warn uh, that I've seen and, and I added to my notes before I pushed record today was to not be a lurker. And what I mean by that is only creepy people hang out in the lobby looking for dying patients. And that might sound a little strange, like you might be listening to this going, uh, well, yeah, you'd be surprised the salespeople I have worked with that just kind of hang out there at the nursing home at the lobby or hang out at the hospital. I don't think the hospital thing happens quite as much, 
but the assisted living facilities and the long-term care facilities, I have seen more times than I am, than I was comfortable to observe the salespeople just hanging out at the nurse's station, hanging out at the lobby. And I will get these very awkward calls from the facility or even from, uh, maybe as I've been in there seeing patients or just doing my work as, as a clinical director or case manager where I've had a director of nurses or an administrator pull me aside and say, Hey, your salesperson, he's kind of creeping us out and just kind of hanging out and watching us. And can you have a chat with him? And so I just want to warn everybody, if you're ever tempted, if you're new to hospice sales and you're kind of tempted to hang out and talk shop, that's, that's not something that the agencies appreciate or find useful. So I just want to drop that here at the beginning of the show because I have unfortunately seen that a few times and it can be a little bit disconcerting and, um, I just, I'll just cut it off there before I say something <laughs> because I've got some weird experiences. Okay. Well, I'll just spit it out. Sometimes you guys hang around too much. I'll just say it. And it makes the ladies uncomfortable there. I spit it out. It's my show. I can say what I want to say on my show and I'm calling out the guys and I've had salespeople I've worked with. It's been a long time. So nobody I'm working with now or have worked with recently but I've had sales people who hung around too much and it made the ladies nervous. They felt like they were getting looked up and down. So there, I said it, I spit it out uh, there. I won't linger on it, but it's a thing. And so I really wanted to say it. Um, okay. So let's get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of the area. And this is something that Chauncey and I spent a fair amount of time the other day chatting about and it is to understand the area that you have been assigned to. And I feel like I learned this quite well from Michael, where I am right now, because he put some real effort into this. And so, Michael, I'm stealing your idea, and I'm throwing it in the show today, and Chauncey and I talked about it some, but it's important to understand the area you have been given. And one really good way to do that is to either yourself get into the EMR your organization uses or get with your administrator, clinical director, and ask them to print some kind of a report that is referrals by referral source, okay, for like the last year. And get that thing in front of you and take a look at it and look at where you have gotten referrals from in the last year for the area that you are assigned. This will give you a lot of really good information. This will tell you the facilities, doctor's offices, clinics, hospitals that have given you a lot and the ones that have given you nothing or the onesie twosie or very little. This is going to help you strategize how to behave in that neighborhood. And the reason I'm saying that is because Having that information will help you begin to know what direction to take your efforts and then how to behave when you are there. Um, and so I, I compared it in my notes here to a crock pot versus a microwave for the area that you're in. 
So the crockpot places will be the ones who maybe have given you nothing or have given you one or two in the last year versus the microwave is the facilities or where or doctor's offices in your area that have given you a lot or are actively giving you referrals and you have nurses in the building right now. And the reason that it's important to recognize that is because you will know how to behave in the different places. You will know that if you have a referral source that's given you one or two or none in the last year, that is a crockpot referral source. It is going to take a lot of patience and a lot of time to get a referral from there. And we'll hit on a few things as I get closer to the, the bottom of my notes that will provide you with some practical ideas. But I wanted to hit on some things like I have it strategically outlined uh, for the show today because I want to land the plane in a way that that provides you with some strategies and some ideas on kind of what to do as you are trying to manage the crock pot versus the microwave. Um, And I just want to remind you that if you have facilities, long-term care, ALF, hospitals, um, doctor's offices that are, that are currently sending a lot of referrals for the area that you have taken over, those referrals have continued because of the great work by the clinical team of the hospice. Like, I, I talk all the time about how the relationship between sales and clinical is so very symbiotic, and we need both sides But I will tell you that if you have a facility that has five, six or more patients in it and patients are admitting and discharging and and the the cycle continues, then what you have there is a, a team that is really super successful in that facility. And so your work in that facility may be just simply supporting your own team in there. You really don't need to sell a lot because your nurse and aide and social worker and chaplain, they're doing all the selling in there because of the great care that they are providing. So that's, you know, that's your microwave situation right there, that it's your job to just come in and support your team. You know, it, you know if, if there's any type of service el- uh, failures that you might hear of or see or the administration may share with you, you're just going to get with the team and say, hey, you know, I heard something kind of rotten happened or something bad happened and maybe we didn't perform the way we normally do. Is there anything I can help in this area? But it's just, it's a very organic in these facilities where you are already successful. It doesn't mean that you don't have to call on the facility, but I think it's okay to understand that a lot happens in there uh, just by repetition and just the relationship is just strong in that facility. And so your need to really push services is just not going to be the same as it is for a facility where you have no relationship or just had one patient seven months ago and now you don't have any in the facility. And so as you're trying to understand the area that you're in, it's just important to be able to identify each and every Uh, referral source that you're responsible for and where you are in the um, 
in the processes in that. I, I'm probably saying the wrong word there, but just, you know, whether or not you have lots of referrals or very little or none is going to affect their openness to you and your success there. And, and, and whether or not you're going to have a crock pot situation or a microwave situation, and you could be, God forbid, but this could easily happen where you're in an area that just has not been worked very much. And you're just another new face and being a new face can be hard in a couple different ways. Okay. Um, there's two different ways a new face can be a problem. Constantly a new face due to constant turnover. So if you walk in and they're like, Oh my gosh, here, here's Jeff from here's Chauncey from hospice ABC last month. It was Mary. And the month before that it was Billy. And, and so you're just another new face and they're just tired. Okay. You know, who's the new face from hospice ABC now. And I'm not saying that was Chauncey's situation. We did not discuss anything specific to his company. He was just asking me general questions. So don't anybody listen to this who works with Chauncey and think, Oh, Chauncey's telling James terrible things about organization. We had none of those conversations. These were just tips and tricks me and him were visiting with, but I've worked at hospices where we've had too much of a turnover in our sales team. And it makes it so hard on the new person coming in. And I would almost say for every. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I have had some members at the hospice nursing community request some kind of a support group to help fight burnout. And so I have started two burnout support groups at the hospice nursing community.com just to help everybody. And so these support groups meet twice a month on the second Thursday and the second Sunday of the month. And so we're going to be doing that. And I wanted to make sure you understood or knew that these will be faith friendly support groups. And it doesn't mean they'll be preaching or anything strange like that, but I might use devotionals. I might pull something out of the Bible, maybe out of Psalms or something, but just there might be sections of the, uh, of the group that deal with matters of faith. And, and I hope that is of interest to you. Uh, it can be found in the community events, uh, section of the community. So if you would consider joining, I think it would help you. It's going to help me. I need it, I think, as much as anybody does. So join a burnout support group at thehospicenursingcommunity.com. Marketer who leaves, it takes two months, three months for the next marketer. It, it, it actually extends the time it takes to be successful in that area every single time you swap out a marketer. So if you're running an organization right now and you're in charge of the sales team and you're real tempted to be, to have these really high expectations of quick sales in a certain area, you need to stop and analyze. Have we had a, have we either been completely absent in that area or have we had a lot of salespeople turnover? And I'm sorry, but if you're turning over your salespeople every 90 days in an area and it's not successful, it's because you're turning over your sales team every 90 days. Now, if your salesperson is running amok and isn't following some things I'm getting ready to lay out here, then that's another story. But I have watched multiple hospices chase off what I think were good salespeople who were going to get there 
because they just weren't performing enough in that first 90 days. This is not, we are not selling home health where you're going to get 40 referrals a month or whatever some of these home health require. This is hospice. If you get eight referrals, eight to 10 referrals a month, you're rocking pretty good, especially in this area here in Kansas City. So if, if you're coming into a role where you have had a lot of turnover, it is going to take that much longer for you to be successful. It just really is. And so microwave hospice sales happens a lot. It happens a lot. And so as leaders, we need to be patient with these sales folks. And, and, And like I said, I'm going to hit some things here moving forward that you can use to analyze your salesperson to make sure that, that they are, uh, you know, performing some basics that you need them to perform. One thing is not being the creepy lurker that I mentioned above, where they're in, they make their visit, they check in to see if there's anything they can do to help, and they're on their way out. Um, so one of the things that I think we need to address is the importance of being consistent and repeatable. Okay, so this is something that we can talk about for all hospice, um, for all of hospice, every area of your hospice, is it consistent and repeatable? And, and when I did, when I revamped our, uh, referral to admission process where I am right now, I talked about this quite a bit during that training and talked about the importance of having a consistent and repeatable, uh, delivery of everything that we do, whether it be the care and the nursing visits. And, and I think I shared this a little bit when I did my episode administratoring, I think was the episode, but I talked a lot in that training about how we need to have repeatable, consistent experiences for our referral sources. And so, and, and and that needs to be, that is across the board. There is nobody within the hospice agency that is exempt, that does not have to take part in a consistent and repeatable, I guess, habits and behaviors. Like for us, for example, when we have a referral that comes in on the facts, my uh, intake coordinator runs benefits, gathers all of the data, and sends out a referral email. And I'm more than happy to hand this sucker out to anybody who wants it, the template for it. This referral email has the name of the patient, where they are right now, where their home address is, what that phone number is, who the caregiver is, what their phone number is, do we have an order, what is their Medicare number, what is their date of birth. It has all this information that she fills out, and then she sends it to the sales team. We leave the clinical team off of it because they panic for every referral. Oh my gosh, am I going to get an admission today? And you guys know how things work. Things move, things change around. And so she sends out that referral chain and then all of us update it as the day progresses and as the patient's uh, location changes and we're all replying, okay, we got the order now. Patient is planned to discharge at four. And then the clinical director will get on there and say, okay, the evening nurse Sally is going to do the admission at five. And that's part of our repeatable, consistent 
behavior. Oh, there's another referral chain. Okay, let's update it and let's work it. Oh, there's another referral chain. Let's update it and let's work it. So all I'm working really hard and so is my team and they've all, they all buy in so fast. I have such a great team. But as we implement these new processes, it, it is all about being consistent and repeatable, consistent, repeatable, consistent, repeatable. So that's why you've got to understand the area that you're in and whether or not it's ice cold or whether or not it's kind of warm and hot and, you know, very few or if it has very few referrals over the last year and it's going to make it harder for you. Um, and so and, and I want to really stress this, OK, and, and this is something that um, that I think is important for us to understand is that as salespeople, let's let's take you as a salesperson and you're going into a facility that doesn't really know you at all. Right. And doesn't really know much about your agency or maybe what they know about your agency is they go through a lot of salespeople. Right. And so they're very leery of you and their leadership may just say that to you. Like, I don't know you. You're coming into my facility. And, and this is, it's real tempting when we have a salesperson who has a lot of hospice experience. If we've managed to snag somebody up who has a lot of hospice experience, but they are in an area, we had to put them in an area they've never worked before. And we expect them to build it and grow it, but they are a strange face in that area and we don't have a presence in that area as an organization, who knows what pushback that salesperson is going to run into. And so what I will tell you is you are now the face of an entire organization. You are the face and the body of an entire organization in that facility as you check in with them. And you're, as you show up every single week, you need to have a consistent and repeatable behavior to what it is you do and how you conduct yourself because they will determine how your entire organization behaves based on your behavior. What other choice do they have? They have no other choice, right? And so they are going to judge your entire organization on you, how, how well you dress, how uh, clean you are. I know I'm really hitting some basics here, but it, it bears to be repeated. And I know that one of the facilities that Michael is going into, they, they looked at him because they got some new staff in there and I had been in their case managing and they have a bunch of new staff there. Uh, and, and I had, um, but I had case managed with another organization or whatever. And, and he had decided to go ahead and call on that place. And they're like, well, we don't care who, you know, like, well, I know James, so I don't know you. Um, and, and who could blame him? And they were very straightforward with him. You can come in and do some activities in our building and we will observe you and see how you do. And we will go from there. Now think about that for a minute. She didn't ask, well, what's your team like? Well, how often do they make visits? Well, she didn't ask all of these questions. She wanted to know what kind of person he was. That's what was important to her. And the only way to get there is for him to be in there doing activities. And he's going to have to do those for a while before they begin to trust him. And you guys know that I am big into the whole idea of trust. But it, this, is, this is what it's going to be like when you go into an area that's cold, 
that you are going, it is going to take you time. And especially if they have a hospice in there that they love and it's their favorite, it's really cold. And you're just making that consistent, repeatable visit once a week. I did talk to Michael. I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning, but he recommends that you make one time a week visits to all your facilities, but it needs to be super consistent. Oh yeah, here it is every Tuesday. Here he is. You know, now I, I'm sure sales is just like the clinical side. We can't promise and guarantee times. <laughs> so you can't always show up every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Um, and maybe you can, but your consistent, repeatable, professional behavior sets the tone for what they should expect from your whole agency. So if you only show up to see a place, uh, a facility once a month, then don't expect, don't expect a whole lot. And maybe, maybe you have some places that are lukewarm and you want to make sure you hit them weekly and places that are ice cold and you want to hit them monthly. And maybe it needs to be backwards from that. Maybe the cold places you need to hit weekly and the warm places, or especially the hot places, you might only have to hit once a month because your clinical team is just knocking it out of the park. That's between you and your sales manager and what they are expecting from you and what they want their um, sales uh, cycle to look like. So I'm just throwing out some general ideas here from what I have been uh, experiencing and watching and what I see the successful people in hospice sales do versus the not so successful. And that that repetition and consistency of your behavior as you show up, I think is a really, a really huge piece of the pie. And, and I'm starting to see some of my salespeople that I have a lot of high hopes for are starting to see some success as they just have that consistent and repeatable behavior in their, uh, you know, in, in their referral sources as they go in and out and, and make visits and get to be more on a first name basis with folks. And, and just as a, just to remind everybody that most, I think most of hospice sales is crockpot work and very little is microwave. Um, and so I'll, I I want to talk a little bit about how to handle your informational visits when you're in sales and, um, you know, when you're, trying to find that balance. One thing that Chauncey and I talked quite a bit about was the not, you know, trying to stay in your lane as a clinical, you know, and, and not dive too much into clinical and try to answer those questions because the clinical side is so, um, complicated, right? And you, but you have to be careful in sales because, I've, I've seen sales folks who only focus on the services and not on the philosophy at all. But I think if you spend nothing but talking hospice philosophy and the philosophy of hospice care, you could end up as a salesperson chasing away a lot of your referral sources and, and, or a lot of your, I'm sorry, a lot of your patients, um, when you're doing those informational visits. And so, one thing that Chauncey and I talked about was finding a healthy balance between the services that you get. Because let's be honest, like if, if I told my sales team that I'm working with, 
All you can do is tell patients that hospice is for people who are dying. And that's your only conversation with them. Okay, well, tell me about your hospice services. Well, it's for people who have a terminal illness and are probably going to die in the next few weeks or months. You sign right up right here. Here's our consent. Sign them. Sign them. <laughs> right? Like, uh, no. Like, there's a balance there. And, and I've watched my sales folks, the ones, the ones who say, well, let's see. I mean, literally, this is the conversation. In hospice, you get a nurse and an aide and a social worker and a chaplain, and Medicare pays for it all. Do you want to sign up? Uh, okay. Right? Well, now, what have we done? Like, they don't really have the slightest idea what hospice is. But I don't want a salesperson to go in there who... It, who um, who also th- feels like they have to answer all the clinical questions and they go in there and like, like there's just, there's a balance that you have to have. You can't focus too much on the death and dying and you can't focus too much on all the services they're going to get that a lot of patients will definitely think that hospice is not for dying people. I'm on the not dying hospice. I've actually heard patients say that. No, 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 no. I'm on the not dying hospice. And I've had to kind of get control of the room and say, listen, there's really only one kind of hospice. And we're not going to get into the palliative program conversation today. We're, this is a hospice show. <laughs> but I've I've had to kind of get the room under control and sit everybody down and say, listen, I'm thankful that you're not dying today, tomorrow, or maybe not next month, but hospice is end-of-life care. But we offer so much more than that, and nothing we do will speed up the dying process, and who knows, it might even slow it down. But we certainly don't speed up the dying process and help people understand. And so trying to understand the the difference between the services and the philosophy and how to bring both of those together, that takes a little bit of time and practice. And and also being able to read the room a little bit. If you're somebody who can't read a room, then, um, then you're going to struggle in hospice sales for sure because you're going to really just mow everybody down with your your what's coming out of your head. Um, but I put in my notes here for those of you who are who are sales folks and you're not clinical, okay? If you're not a nurse, don't try to be one. The, the nurses who are in hospice sales have a, a pretty significant advantage, but I, I'm not running into very many RNs or LPNs who are running around doing hospice sales. Most of the time they are in the clinical roles. But you'll get one here or there, or you might have a hospital liaison that kind of helps with those kinds of things and transitions back home and things like that. But if you're not a clinical, you know, if you're not a nurse, if you're not clinical, don't, don't try to be one. The clinical side is very complex. And if you're not careful, if you heard your nurse say, Oh yeah, we'll definitely cover medication X, Y, Z. And you're real tempted at your next referral to say, yeah, we definitely cover medication X, Y, Z. You do not want to hang your clinical team out like that. You really, as, as somebody, if you are not a licensed medical professional, then do not get caught up in trying to answer those clinical questions. Now, will you, over time, develop 
a certain depth of understanding medically of what a hospice patient might look at like where you could pull open records and you could begin to read through that and see some things that maybe you've learned from your, your uh, clinical team and be able to tell, yeah, this is a hospice patient, you know, yes, you can develop that. But I really caution you about trying to answer clinical questions and it's okay to say, I appreciate you asking me that but I cannot speak out of turn. When your nurse comes to do your evaluation and to get you on services, if you qualify, ask her that. Ask him that. Ask the nurse that because I am going to speak out of turn and say something wrong because I am not a clinical person. My job here is to help give you a general overview of what hospice services are And then the nurse actually comes and does an evaluation with you and calls the doctor. And and as a team, everybody determines what the next course of action needs to be. So don't feel that pressure to answer those questions. And that can be hard in the moment as they're looking up at you. You're kind of the face of the organization right now. You might even some agencies have their salespeople sign those consents which is perfectly fine. That is not a, I don't believe it is a conflict of interest in the slightest because even when somebody signs those consents, you can say, listen, you're signing these, but the clinical team still has to come and evaluate you to determine your eligibility. A lot of agencies do that and it's perfectly fine. So don't feel like, um, you know, like you're failing anybody by not answering those questions. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you are new to hospice or considering hospice, then in September of 2022, I created the website for you. I created the hospicenursingcommunity.com. What started out as a simple community has become a large library of video trainings. The hospicenursingcommunity.com now has over 45 video coaching sessions covering subjects such as bedside charting, the hospice comfort kit, the four levels of care, how to interview for a hospice job, and so much more. I just completed a seven-part series for case managers, and I'm getting ready to start a series on the PPS scale. The hospicenursingcommunity.com is available for just $4.99 per month for full access. Head over to the hospicenursingcommunity.com for hope, help, and encouragement. And remember, hospice nursing doesn't get easier. You just get better at it. So let's get better at it together. So um, I just I just think it's real tempting for, as the salespeople, as you become more knowledgeable on the medical side of things, to begin to start answering those questions, and and you can definitely make things real hard on your your clinical team as the nurses come along and. And if they have to tell them, oh, no, I'm sorry, you know, we're not going to cover that medication, they can, the the family can get really upset. So I just, I want to caution everybody there. Um, Another thing that you can definitely do that will help build those relationships in those facilities and, and agencies is, or, and doctor's offices and so forth is when you do manage to bring in a patient and, you care for them and they they die on on your hospice services it is appropriate to reach out uh with condolences and different things but i want to differentiate who you're calling uh 
and why. Okay. Um, after a patient dies on services. Okay. So just remember, this is not, you're not selling cars or insurance or, uh, you know, a house to somebody. You're the person that you met with to bring on to hospice services died. And if you have a close relationship, maybe it took two or three days, or maybe it took you a month of working with them, visiting with them, you know, and you stayed in touch with them until they were done with their cancer treatment. And then they came into service. So you feel like you have a little bit of a depth of a relationship with maybe the caregiver and you want to do a very soft touch, maybe a week after don't call the next day after their mom or dad dies or something. They, the, the, the next five days in their life is a whirlwind and they call in a, in a month and check in and say, Hey, just wanted to offer my condolences. And, um, you know, if you need anything, reach out to us through our bereavement program, just quick, just in, out, in, done, done. Um, now what you can do next day is go to the referral source, go to that clinic and check in and let them know that their loved one passed and make sure maybe, you know, that they got notified and if they have any feedback and you can do those sales calls right away to the referral sources. But I just really caution you with reaching out to any family or anything like you don't want to call somebody and go, well, your mom passed away on our services. How's your dad feeling? <laughs> right. Let's not do that. You know, we're not trying to sell the whole family cars, um, but it can be somewhat tempting to do. Um, but you can definitely reach out to the referral source. One agency that I work for, I thought this was a great, great, great strategy and idea is when we would get a referral from a clinic, feel free to steal this idea. It's a great idea. We would get a referral from a clinic. You know, we would take care of that patient for three or six months or whatever, and they would, they would pass away. The sales team would get a condolences card and would, would take the, the envelope and label it for that, for that a clinic. And and then uh, put the address of the patient's next of kin on there and go in and have everybody in the clinic that they had been, that the patient had been going to for years and years, usually sign that sympathy card. And then after everybody signed it, the salespeople would take that card and stick it in the mail. And it, and they basically the family would get a card from the clinic that the, uh, that had referred the patient to us. Now I want to make sure everybody understands that this is, you are, you are helping that clinic reach out to that family. This is not an artificial thing. I, I don't, I don't want this to be okay. You know, we uh, it'll make it look like this clinic really cared about the patient. Well, they did, right? They referred them to your services. A lot of times our referrals that we get is a, is a patient who had gone to the same clinic for sometimes 20, 30 years, 10, 20, 30 years, you know? And so, but it does give you a reason to show up to that clinic kind of as a special visit. And they all sign that card and you mail it out for them. Or maybe, maybe it's all labeled 
and uh, and it has a stamp on it, and it's all ready to go, and you just hand it to the receptionist, and they just know they can all get it signed and then leave it there for the mail person to pick up the next day. That gives you a reason to check in with, the, with that referral source, make sure they know their patient died, help them reach back out to the family because they're busy in there. They don't necessarily have time to do it. But I thought that was a great way to get them back in to that clinic, but also help that clinic reach out to a family who they probably were very familiar with and offer condolences to them. So I thought that was really, really great idea. So, you know, a couple of things I want to hit here as I begin to wrap up this episode, that so much of what I talk about that we do in hospice is about trust and relationship, you know, and, and trust, influence, relationship, like those are my three big buzzwords that I like to use. And it's the same with every area of hospice. The sales team is not exempt from the importance of building relationships with referral sources and helping build that trust. And I really feel like that influence and relationship and trust, once again, is through that repeatable, consistent behavior by your organization by everybody, the, the nurses, a referral source knows what to expect from the clinical side. They know what to expect from the sales side. They know that Chauncey is going to show up every Thursday of the week to check in and see how everything is going. And if they need anything, they know that, that, that the nurses if Chauncey gets a referral and you give Chauncey a referral that a nurse is coming out that same day, within two to three hours, the nurse has showed up to look at the patient and see like, they're like, okay, Chauncey communicates with his team. All right. I like what I'm seeing here. Um, and, and then the next time they refer somebody to you, it happens again, identical. And they're like, and, and they're going to see that they're going to notice that, Things happen quick and decently and in order every time you reach out to this organization or you reach out to your salesperson. I can't count how often my salespeople will call me and say, hey, we're getting a referral from the hospital, XYZ hospital over here. And five minutes later, it's up on my fax because the referral source called them to give them a heads up. They called me to give me a heads up. And it and there it is coming up on the fax and my intake coordinator prints it up and runs benefits and creates the referral email chain and boom, we're off to the races and the clinical director is sending a nurse out immediately. It's just fast, 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 fast. But we have the, um, we have it all built into our program. It's, we know what's going to happen next. My sales team knows that when the fax comes in, my, my, uh, intake coordinator is going to create that referral chain and blast it out. And if they don't see it for an hour, they're going to reach out to somebody and go, Hey, did the facts come through? Where's the referral chain? And maybe we were swamped and it, it it's coming. Sorry, it's coming. And that's okay too. But just that, that consistent repeatable process. And so for those of you who are leaders who listen to this show, where is your consistent repeatable process? Is, is there one in place? And if the answer is no, well, it sounds like you got a project waiting for you, right? Well, you do. Because ultimately, 
just my final thought on all of this is overall hospice sales is a crock pot position, not a crack pot position. Don't mishear me. <laughs> Maybe it's a crack pot position too. You salespeople are listening to this going, mm, nodding your head. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like a crackpot trying to do this for a living. Who, who runs out and tries to sell death for a living? Well, we do, unfortunately. And so, um, there you go. That is my list of eight different items for helping my sales team, helping you sales folks out there be more successful. I hope that this, uh, has been useful to you. And, and, and if you're a field nurse or a clinical director, I hope it kind of gives you some thoughts as well, too. This is a symbiotic relationship, uh, the sales and the clinical team. So I appreciate everybody checking out the show. Hey, listen, at thehospicenursingcommunity.com, I have got my 36 uh, coaching and training video replays. And guess what? I am adding video number 37 this weekend. Um, because I had somebody reach out and want some advice and ideas on an interview. If they were interviewing for a hospice, hospice position, what questions should they ask? So I'm going to handle that in a video here in the community. So if you want to check out the hospice nursing community.com, there are some different, um, programs that are available to you that are not very expensive and just kind of help cover the cost of things. And so I hope you will check it out and check out the coaching and training video replays. I think you will find it very, very useful, very helpful. Don't forget to leave a review of the show on the Apple podcast app. It's really easy. Just scroll down to the bottom and leave a review. You can call me at 816-834-9191 like Chauncey did and leave me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. Or email me at james at confessionsofahospicenurse.net. Don't forget that hospice doesn't get easier. You just get better at it. And let's get better at it together. This has been episode 41 of the Hospice Nursing Podcast for October 1st, 2023.